Hi, I'm Deb Crow, and welcome to Season 2 of the Heart-Centered Leadership Podcast. This is a podcast where we connect, learn, and laugh together with strong leaders from all over the globe. Here, you will learn from peers you haven't even met yet. You will gain new tools to add to your leadership toolbox. Because whether you're a C-suite executive or a first-time entrepreneur, we all contend with challenges and there's always room for improvement if we choose to seek it. So please pull up a chair and listen in. This is the Heart-Centered Leadership Podcast. Welcome back to Imperfect, the Heart-Centered Leadership Podcast. And I have to give you a really transparent moment when I received this gentleman's request to be on the show and I read his bio, it really hit me in the heart. And I shared this with him before we hit the record button today. This gentleman is the epitome of why I decided to get out of being a medical case manager and becoming a coach. So pull up a chair and grab a coffee and get ready because you're going to learn a lot from this gentleman today. So let me introduce you to my guest. His name is Basque Lebesque. This gentleman has had quite the life. He has lived in eight countries. He has been on five continents. He's been at the top of his game. And I will quote what he says. I live a truly happy and purposeful life now. But he's had a history of being an executive and going through all of the elements that come with climbing that proverbial ladder to success. And what I love about this is we're going to unpack his story today and talk about many of the things that executives don't talk about until it's too late. Hence my discovery to no longer manage executives when they get those diagnoses and are at end of life, becoming that preventionist. So Bass, welcome to Imperfect. Thank you very much. That's quite an introduction. Yeah. Well, your your story, your leadership trajectory really hit me in the heart. And Mm -hmm. it makes me happy to know that I'm in the right space with my heart-centered leadership and my coaching. And I'm just, I'm really delighted. I know, I think you're in Amsterdam right now, or you're usually in Amsterdam. I'm usually in Amsterdam now in Spain, but that's you're in uh, Spain Amsterdam right now. Amsterdam so is home. I know it's the end of your day, so I'm grateful to spend some time. So I have some leadership questions for you. And uh-huh. if you're ready, I think we should just dig in and start. Yeah, yeah, let's go for it. Let's go for it. I'm excited. You, you have dealt with, I'm going to call them major things or challenges yeah, yeah. in your life. Like, you yeah. know, that that resiliency, when I read what you've been through, it's visceral for you. So, you know, this is a big question to unpack, but, but give us kind of your Cole's note summary. You have been so successful in life, in business, in leadership, when did you decide or what was the deciding factor that things had to change for you? Um, well, that was really, um, I've been probably for two up to three decades, I've been chasing happiness into 
and I was looking at, I was trying to find it more in the material things and in the, in the status things, uh, in 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 success, you know, climbing the corporate ladder. But I always, or I was always questioning myself: Is this it? And um, yeah, at a certain moment, I came to the, to to a point where it was like, I can only find out if this is if there's more if I'm if I'm gonna break with what I know and going through that journey uh, you know I was being this I was being this successful trader and I was trading millions up to billions and I was letting that go for me there was basically only one other option that was living on the street being poor losing my house having this like this ridiculous picture ad that I was painting you know it's like it's either this success or it's just pure misery. Uh, and I was so, so attached to it. And it was, it took me like two to three years to, to finally take that step. And um, I do remember when I, when I finally took that step, I, I was, I was nervous. I, I mean, I mean, it was, I was so anxious and nervous and I, I had no idea where it was going to come. And I, I kind of promised myself a sabbatical for for three months, and I was going to spend it in Brazil. And I set on the fly on the flight to Rio, and I basically I mean it's a it's a long flight. I think it was eleven hours or something. And I just cried. I cried for eleven hours. I just the poor man sitting next to me. I don't know what what he was thinking, but I was just like I needed to release all that like build up energy and, and, and negativity and, and, and yeah, preparing myself for, 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 let's say the new life for my new life. Um, and the, I mean, you, you talk about, you, 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 your introduction, you talked about resilience, you know, the moment I arrived in Rio for me, it was like, okay, you know, this is, this is it. There's just no, this is what you wanted to do and you're going to make it work. And that's what I did. You know, one day at a time, I, uh, I, I started doing Portuguese classes and, and uh, I dived into Portuguese and, and, and I loved it. And I, I, I loved the life in Rio. Um, it, it, was, it, it was great. And it was really like a, a, a period of transition. But... Um, if we would look at it when, you know, when this all started, or now in hindsight, my, when I was 12, my mother passed away of cancer. And that was really, uh, I think that really was the starting point of all this, you know, living a, what does it mean to live a fulfilled life? You know, what does it, how, I mean, I wasn't asking myself these questions as a 12-year-old, but that's where, where, where it started. You know, how am I going to look back on my life? And I don't, of course, I don't know when, when, when the end is going to come for me. But you know, I want to look back and say, you know, I didn't. Re- I have, um, I ha- I'll have regrets, but uh, you know, I want to look back and say, you know, I, I made the most out of it, and I wasn't afraid of, uh, of doing certain things or picking up certain challenges and um yeah that's uh that's 
kind of where it all started. The thing that makes me so happy about your story is it didn't come to a crossroads where your physical and mental health were so debilitated. There wasn't a way through the fog. Mm -hmm. The other thing that really kind of resonates with me is I lost my dad when I was 21. So I relate to you so much as a leader and a fellow entrepreneur. We carry that grief with us from that young age and and you teeter-totter emotionally between okay I had my parent for x amount of years and then you look on the other side of that and think but they missed this and that and this and every time we have a challenge or a loss in our life it comes back to what they call a trigger memory and it's really really hard and mm-hmm. grief is messy. You can't go under it. You can't go over it. You have to go through it. And I just want you to know that I I feel you on that answer. Like I, I can feel your emotion and losing a parent is hard. And it's just something that always lends for a meaningful conversation when someone else can look you in the eye and, and validate those feelings and say, I feel you. I get you. It's it's just, it's one of those emotions where there are no words. So I'm just, mm-hmm. I'm grateful that you're sharing your story and you're paying it forward and, and your relatability is just, it's limitless. And I'm just, again, I'm grateful for you to, to show up like this coming from such a high executive level. And I know this conversation is meaningful and there's other executives that are really going to hear what you have to say today. So this is kind of like the good version of the executive that took the sabbatical, opened the ice cream shop, and somebody handed you the lemonades and you decided to make the lemons and you made lemonade with it because we always Mm. have a choice. It's that mindset choice that you talk about. So my second question for you is the one that's always going to have permanent residency on my podcast. Share, Share with us. What imperfections that you bring to your heart-centered leadership? Oh, (laughs) Uh, my imperfection is one of the, I, I am, (laughs) things need to be perfect. That's the perfectionism is really is like, is one of these things that, um, um, and I, one of the other things I do, I look for the, basically for the 10% that I haven't done instead of the 90% that I have. Um, at the end of the day, there's always room for improvement. And that's not, I mean, with my clients, you know, is that's that's what I, what I work on as well. It's like, let's look at all these beautiful things that you've created, you know, and celebrate these these celebrate these moments. I was I was talking to an executive yesterday and I was like, when was the last time you celebrated something with your with your with your team, with your with your any of your uh, and it can be small, you know, just you know, when was the last time you gave a compliment? And you know, it it the answer took a very long time. And it's like, you know, I just want you to bring that back in, you know, do that uh, uh, so start doing that again today, you know, small steps. 
So I'm very aware of uh, my imperfection in that as well. You know, I, I could celebrate a lot more. Um, and um, yeah, that's a, that's a continuous uh, process. I don't think that will ever um, go away or will be fully completed. But that's, uh, um, yeah. Well, I I want you to know in season one, I interviewed over 100 leaders on the show. And Uh that is in the top three. Because (laughs) I think we fall fall into that perfectionist mode. And the magic happens when you sit back with the pause and look at all of the progressions. And you, you alluded to it beautifully, like... How about we look at all the small wins that that lead up to the big wins? And sometimes we just need to be in that space. And it's nice to hear it again from your level. And now mm-hmm. you're chatting with executives and you have that relatability to say, been there, done that. Okay, here's what needs to change. And by the way, I'm still this evolving human being just like you. And it's just, it's a remarkable moment to have with another person, especially when you've gone through it, which is, again, the richness that you bring. Absolutely. Okay, my next question is a a sentence that you gave me when uh, you filled out my form to be on the show, and I love talking about this. You say leadership does not fit in a box. I want you to metaphorically unpack that. And, uh-huh. tell, and tell us from your vantage point, being an executive, being the level that you're at, and now being on the other side of the coin, what does that mean to you before you left your, your high-end executive positions? And what does it mean to, mean to you now? Uh, well, it, what brings it to mind is that I was working in, in a dealing room. And a financial on the financial trading floor, and the idea on that floor was that the 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 bigger the asshole you were, the better the trader you were, and that was basically the box you needed to fit into. And I was like, no, <laughs> I don't, I don't, I don't want to. This was a relationship business, you know, and if you act like that in the relationship, you know, it's it's never going to be a fruitful, fruitful relationship. So, uh, and yeah, unfortunately, I don't have the, I couldn't prove or I don't have the proof that, you know, uh, that if you be, well, let's say, well, I know, you know, people that are more emotional intelligence, that practice emotional intelligence, you know, they, they have better results. So they're more creative, wherever. So I mean, and that that applies all over, all over the board. So this applies in dealing rooms as well. So, uh, but it's it's not a place where you see a lot of uh, emotion. But to come back to your question, it's like leadership doesn't fit in a box. There, every person is unique, you know, and every and therefore, there or his, or her or his leadership is unique as well um, and therefore it doesn't uh, fit into a box and there's a lot of like these these how to do this apply this apply that and you'll be you'll be a successful leader stick to 
you know, stick to stick to yourself, you know, stick to your to your own uh, vulnerability, uh, and then you know, be be willing to show that. And my vulnerability doesn't look like yours. My story isn't isn't yours. So if you, you know, the best your best leadership uh, comes from your story. So you need to make it unique. Uh, and if you want to fit it in a box, you become a well, you become a robot, and you become, I think, a very well, yeah, boring and challenging uh, leader. And that's not what you want to be. I think I'm going to repeat what you said because that is powerful. Your leadership comes from your story. And what you're really saying is leadership is an inside job. When we are so anchored in our story and our self awareness, we have limitless potential to lead. And I'm, I'm trying to break down, you know, the myth that you have to have a lot of initials after your name to lead. Leadership, in my humble and, evolve of, and evolving opinion, belongs to everybody. It doesn't matter if you're the janitor, the frontline worker cashier, or the C-suite leader. We all have the ability to lead in our personal lives, in anything we choose to do as a career, and I just think that's so powerful to hear that from you. And I think it's led a lot in your journey and the awareness that you have, which leads into my last question. You've become a big fan of being a minimalist. Yes. And you alluded to that because I have lots of C-suite leaders that I work with. And, and like you, you said early on in the interview, you know, you can have all those things and that stuff, all that extrinsic value in your life. But if you don't have it to share with anybody or it doesn't really mean anything to you, is it on the other side of the equation of valuing yourself and thinking, okay, I made it. I'm, I'm at the top of, a, you know, the leadership ladder. I want you to, to share with us why you embraced minimalism. And I know it's still a journey for you. And how did you decide to go about that? And what was it like for you in terms of your habits of thinking when you let go of all that extrinsic value and stuff that you had? So in very short story, in, my, in, in the last couple of years of my career, I was basically living out of two suitcases for... Uh, four and a half years i i lived i lived in, in brussels luxembourg and paris and, and i just had these two suitcases and then i came i came back home and i was going to i was going to rent out my apartment and i had to empty it except for the uh for the furniture which i and i was like what am i going to do with all this stuff you know this is stuff i haven't really seen for for the last four and a half years i don't i don't even know what it is anymore <laughs> and i and i i was considering to to uh to rent a, a storage space and then i i came uh uh across the the, the minimalists and uh i i watched the uh their netflix episode and and i was like you know this this is ridiculous i'm going to spend a hundred euros let's say 125 dollars a month for storage 
for stuff that I haven't touched for the last four years. And that I, I and then, you know, I will put it there for two years. And then after two years, I will take it back or three or four years. And then, you know, it's still, it's still stuff. So I was like, what, you know, what else can I do? I was like, let's get rid of it. You know, what's going to happen if, if I just get rid of it? So I gave myself, it took me like three days, not not like full days, you know, like maybe six, maybe, let's say not, not even 20 hours in, in three days. And I basically cleared out 60, 70% of my stuff. I gave it to charity, I threw it away. I, uh, I sold some and I... You know, if you, if you, I couldn't, I couldn't tell you what I, what I thrown away now or what I've given away. I mean, of course there, there like, there's like these odd uh, items that I sold, you know, I had this big ladder that I sold and, and uh, 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 I had a, <laughs> when I moved into the apartment, I, I put a, I put a, a refrigerator in the storage room of my, uh, uh, in the basement of my, uh, of my apartment building and it had been there for 20 years and never used. And I was like, this thing, finally it's gone. You know, every time I walked into that storage room, I was like, oh, there's a refrigerator again. There's a refrigerator again. And it's like, I'm like so relieved now. And I just want to, um, yeah, the journey is not over and I want to take it to the to the next level. Uh, you know, the, I've, I've read these stories about you know, minimalists that only have like 39 items, you know, that includes underwear, socks, uh, laptop, bag, you know, and, and, and that's, that's a bit extreme, you know, I don't, I don't, uh, I don't want to go that far. But if you, I was reading, it's like, you know, we're, we're shop. <laughs> it was a quote in a book I read this week, like, and it says, basically translated basically into something like, we're shopping ourselves unemployed, meaning, you know, we want to buy all this, well, let's say clothes, you know, cheap clothes, t-shirt for, for five, $10. And we want to buy 10 a year, you know, and that this needs to be made in, this needs to be made in, in, in the low cost uh, labor, labor countries. Um, but you know, if, if, if a t-shirt would be made in, in Europe or, or in the United States, it would cost, maybe 50 euros, maybe 60 euros, it will be high quality. And it would last, well, a lifetime is maybe a bit exaggerated, but it would last more than more than three months, you know, it would last five, 10 years. And that's, you know, you, you probably spend the same amount, but less impact, you know, less, 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 uh, less, less production, less transportation, all that kind of stuff. And you're wearing something that, which is, a really good quality. Um, so, yeah, minimalism. Um, I, one of the the most common mistakes when I when I talk to people about it, you know, or what I the way they think is like you need to be you need to be cheap, or you're not you're not allow you're not allowing yourself any luxury or something, which is which is not true. I mean, you can buy a really nice bike, you know, for example, or, or, you know, buy a really nice car, uh, when you drive it, you know, but why do you need two or three cars? You know, that's, that's where it goes. That's where it goes wrong.
So, and then, you know, if you think about how much time we spend working to buy all this stuff, you know, where if we don't, if we wouldn't buy all this stuff, then, uh, you know, we would have, le- we would have a lot more time to do what we like to do, spend time with the, with the ones that we love instead of buying them all this, uh, uh, all this stuff. I was, I, I, I normally don't, uh, don't coach, uh, teenagers, but that this one teenager approached, approached me and what and the funny, the funny thing was that, you know, when I started working with him, I was like, at first I was a bit like, you know, how am I going to approach this? He's a teenager, you know, do I speak his language? And, and then, you know, we started talking and I was like, you're just as all these executives, you're making the exactly the same mistakes and you're only 17 years old. And one of the things that he said was like, you know, I want to buy my mother a house. And I was like, well, does your mother have a house? Yes, she does. Does she need a house? No, she doesn't. Then why have you asked her that, that, you know, that she wants you to buy a house for her? No. It's like, so why do you want to buy her a house? You know, what 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 would it mean? You know, if to to buy her a house, you probably would have to work your yeah crazy hours. You know, to uh, for the next twenty five years, and you're you're. You're wasting the opportunity to spend the best time with your mother because you're buying a house she doesn't need, and you know this is it's it's it sounds simple, but this is what so many people are doing. Uh, you know they want to buy something for themselves or for someone else, and then in the end they they miss the whole journey they could have had together. It's it's a great great point, and I I want to circle back because. In my heart-centered leadership model that aligns on top of my coaching program, modeling self-care is so important as a leader. And there's various, various elements to self-care. And one of them is environment. So when you have that environment that's organized and clean, it just allows more cognitive flow to think because leaders are always in that executive functioning, higher level of thinking. And if you have, you know, a crazy busy workspace full of papers and files and there's there's no white space, it's the same as your schedule. It's we could do a whole podcast just on that. But oh, it's absolutely. but it's a mood point and it goes and it almost links back to what you said about perfection. I think being a minimalist or becoming a minimalist or choosing and deciding that these things aren't part of who you are it's part of the journey it's part of the inner work it's part of the leadership trajectory it all fits in together so i love the way that you frame that i'm going to switch gears now and i'm going to ask you my fab four these are just four fun questions we want to know what's sitting on the top of your mind so first first question tell us something that we don't know about you um well, not a lot of people know that I that I had an ice cream shop for two weeks and that I gave it away to my business partner after after two weeks. And <laughs> one of the the reason why is that you know I, I I enjoyed creating the concept and I 
but it opened and I and I and I panicked and I was basically like I don't want to I don't want to be standing in this shop and I don't want to I don't want to manage these 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 teenagers and I want to don't and I don't want to scoop ice cream but um yeah I'm happy I did it you know it's a it's 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 a thing I will I will never regret it was full of teaching I, I thought you were going to tell me that you ate all the inventory, but that's a great story. <laughs> I only eat chocolate ice cream. There you go. Okay, second. <laughs> Maybe second, that's one thing. <laughs> second question. Finish this sentence for me. Heart-centered leadership is? Being comfortable with yourself. Yeah. I love that. Okay, third question. Share with us a book that you're reading right now or one that you may have just finished. Why did you choose to read the book and who's the author? Oh, um, it's a, uh, the, I don't know who the author is. That's terrible, but it's, <laughs> it's 400 letters from my mother. Uh, that's the book um, I just finished. Well, it's a book that, that I've read and, and made the most impact in the, in the, lately it's a it's about a guy who's been taken into prison into in morocco innocently uh, or he's innocent and he spends over 1600 days and this is for me one of the worst fears or one of the uh yeah that you have to go through to such an experience like that and I mean, of course, I have the relationship with my mother or, or with her losing her and uh, how he des- describes his relationship with his mother through the process while he's in while he's in, in jail and how he chooses to make uh, uh, the best out of it and not to be a victim. It's a, it's a beautiful story. It sounds beautiful. And, and I'm sure it's a part of your inner journey, too, with the loss of your mom as a young boy. So what a nice way to circle back. And and thanks for sharing that. My last question is, what is one thing that you would like our listeners to remember about you? That it, well, I go back to follow your heart and do whatever you want to do what you want to do. And don't, don't, I mean, yeah, this is, this is it. Uh, Happiness is the other side of the coin uh, of fear. And you will find that happiness, you know, when you flip that, when you flip that coin. And I've done it many times. And so can you. That's beautiful. And you also taught me today that your name, you go by Bass, which is short mm-hmm. for Sebastian. Yes. You taught, you taught me something today. I I am so honored to have met you and I, I want to thank you for sharing your heart with us today and sharing your story and you're, you're the leadership story that really is engraved on my heart because you decided to draw the line in the sand and, and not get sick and, and not have to make a decision because, and you realized in order to get to the other side and embrace happiness, that it had nothing to do with things. And I just think there's so much richness in your story and I can see how you've owned it and anchored it. And it was just an honor to have you on the show. Thank you for spending time with me today. Thank you so much, Deb. 
You've been listening to the Heart Centered Leadership Podcast. I'm Deb Crow. If you like what you heard today, please rate and review the show. And I'd love it if you'd visit my website at debcrow.com, where you can sign up for my newsletter and get access to the Heart Centered Leadership Toolkit, all free of charge. Thanks for your time, and we'll see you again.